Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. You're listening to the sweet, sensual, serendipitous, and soulful sounds of Nerdery and Murdery. God, I hate you so much. Welcome to episode 47 of Nerdery and Murdery. A cuarente y siete. I'm Zig with your Nerdery. I'm Jeffrey with your Murdery. And this is a lot of fun. We're back in studio, as, as you, we would call it. We, whoop, whoop. I think this is the first time in 2022 that we've been yeah. in person. Everything's been over Zoom for the last... Uh, Three recording well, sessions? Yeah, at least uh, at least that. So this is great to be to be back. So I do have some gifts. Um, what? None of them are from me. Uh-huh. Um, 
right behind you, there's there's a box, but go to the box last because behind it is something from Keith for the show and from my mother for the show. <laughs> it's an elf solar bobblehead. Yes, it's, it's a it's elf. a buddy the elf solar bobblehead. That's from my mother to the show. Very nice. And then <clears throat> and then Keith got Bat Pig. Bat Pig. <laughs> so I figure that's going to be a, a a mascot for the show is to have uh, have, bat our, have Bat Pig. Bat Pig. So then, if you want to go into the box, that's actually our gift from Two Geeks and a Microphone. What? We each got one. I know what they are. And Zig's opening slowly. It's a two geeks and a microphone coffee cup. Yes. We did send them uh, similar for ours, so they have uh, they have merchandise from us as well. Two geeks and a microphone coffee cup. So I thought that was very nice of them to send us send us gifts from being on their show. And they've got uh, little stickers in yes. there as well. So I thought that was very, very nice of them to, to send that to us. And like I said, I sent them some nerdery and murdery coffee mugs from us as nice. well. So I'm, just, loving, I'm loving Buddy the Elf. Oh, I figured you would. My mother gave me that and was just cackling <laughs> as, as she gave that because she knows how much I hate the Elf. <laughs> <clears throat> so I figured that was for the show. So... Welcome back in studio. Well, thank you, sir. Good to see your bald head. Huh? <laughs> nice to be seen. Good to be in person. Got Will back with us, so that's outstanding. Outstanding. So, with uh, with nothing else, I say we step on over to the nerdery side of the house. <laughs> Yay! This is another music episode. We're going to talk about three albums by The Cure. And it's funny that you're doing The Cure. Um, I, I know you and I have had this conversation in the past, but <clears throat> excuse me for our, our listeners. So in the 80s, I hated The Cure. Absolutely hated them. And it wasn't until, I don't know, probably within the last 10 years or so, I actually learned to appreciate them. I and more than anything else, because the the main station I listen to is First Wave on Cirrus XM. So... Serious, if you want to sponsor us, there you go. Yay! Um, so, listening to First Wave, I'm getting into all the 80s music that I was unaware of, that that I wasn't a part of, because I was in bubblegum pop, and so that's what I was familiar with. I didn't get the Depeche Mode and the New Order and the Cure, except for what went out mainstream, because all three of those bands I named, all three had mainstream stuff yes. that came out. Yes, yes. <clears throat> The Cure had some really big hits. They did. And like I said, I was just not a fan of them at all in the 80s. But as I listened to all three of these albums, I knew quite a bit of their fil- of their discography now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> so the three albums I did, I wanted to do these three albums in sequence in particular because this is how I discovered them. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and again, with, with The Cure, you've got... A lot of people say that Robert Smith's voice is off-putting. Um, it's, it's, it's not a classically 
good singing voice, I guess the way if you'd explain it like that, but it's very heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what turns people off. But he's such an incredible songwriter, <clears throat> and musically they're really really good. I think so. Um. So yeah, today we're going to talk about head in the door, standing on a beach, and kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Those three albums, because this is how I discovered them. So. Let's let's go back in time a little bit. We'll use our little podcast way back machine or pod back machine. Pod back. Pod back machine. Pod yeah. back machine. Thank you. Thank you. Got you got it. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna so we're gonna step into the pod back machine. Go back to about 1985, 1986. I am not listening to pop music. I'm basically listening to oldies because I like like jazz and stuff like that, and of course comedy. And uh, this friend in, I want to say seventh grade, I don't even remember her name. She's like, you should listen to The Cure. And I'm like, who's The Cure? She's like, well, you like horns and stuff. They've got horns in their songs. So that was that was my introduction. And so um, she let me listen to basically like a mixtape. And, uh, and it had part of Head on the Door. I want to say it was side one. No, it wasn't even side one, because I'm looking at side one now. It had A Night Like This, Close to Me, In Between Days, and Push. So those are the first four Cure songs I ever heard. Uh, And the first one I heard was uh, A Night Like This, which I always thought was a hit. Actually, it wasn't. I don't even know that song, so. Uh, It's the love song on Head in the Door. Um, and a smile and a shake of your hair and a smile. No, no, no. Don't know that one. It's, it's really great. And it's got a great saxophone solo in it. Um, just wailing saxophone right in the middle of it. So beautiful. But yeah, so I, I listened to this and I was like, oh, these guys are great. They must be, they must be a popular band. They're not. Right. They were not. They were, they got to be a popular band, but it was usually misfit kids who were into the cure in the United States, in Europe, they were a pop band. Uh, they were paying. They were playing to a fifty, hundred thousand seat venues all over Europe. Um, the Cure started out uh, as an English rock band, and they were formed in nineteen seventy eight in a town called Crawley in West Sussex. Uh, throughout numerous lineup changes since the band's formation, guitarist and lead vocalist and songwriter Robert Smith has remained the only constant member. Um, so yeah, they've been going since 78 and the thing about the cure is they're one of the biggest selling bands in the world because of quantity, (laughs) the cure released something every year between 1978 and 2000. Wow. Yes. There was either a compilation or a live album or a studio album every year. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if each one of those sells 100,000 copies, there you go. That's sure. why they're one of the biggest selling bands of all time. It's it's by quantity. And it's just, they produced a lot of stuff, you know. Um, Head in the Door is the sixth studio album by the English rock band The Cure. Uh, it was released on the 26th of August, 1985. So yeah, that sounds that tracks. This album wasn't out very long when I heard it because this would have been 
late 85, early 86. Did you have the Robert Smith hair when you first saw it? Or did you did you actually develop that hair because of him? I developed that hair because of him. All right. Yes, I got the Robert... I had the Robert Smith haircut in 1989. We've got to put a picture of that on the side. I can't find one. My mom got rid of all of them. Oh, that sucks. And I've put it out on Facebook several times. Do you have a picture? Because I would. I don't have any. And I don't know anybody who does. And I've got all of uh, my folks' pictures, and they're not in any of the, those boxes. Man. Yeah, I wish I had it, too, so I could yeah. go, hey, because people are like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yes, I did. It's And I don't have any. Yeah, we really need that for the website. That sucks. Yeah. <sighs> so it was released on August 26, uh, 1985, on Fiction Records. So this technically is an independent um album because fiction is an independent label however they're hooked up with you know majors so it's half independent half major label um it it was preceded by the single in between days which reached number 15 on the uk singles charts head on the door was described by melody maker as a collection of pop songs with its variety of styles it allowed the group to reach a wider audience of both europe and north america and in the United Kingdom, it became their most successful album to date. Uh, the album's charted at number seven uh, by September. So after a month it was out, it got up to number seven. And I want to say it stayed on the UK album charts for six months. Um, the album is the first to feature the drummer Boris Williams uh, and bassist Simon Gallup, who had previously worked on three major Cure albums in the early 80s. Uh, and he came back before the recording of this album. Uh, Simon Gallup stayed with The Cure until this year. Uh, matter of fact, it was Simon Gallup and Robert Smith who were up front when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think that was probably 10 years overdue. I, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Yeah, it's, well, their body of work, if nothing else, their body sure. of work um, far exceeded and outshined... Who else was in that year? Deep Purple. I mean... Nothing against Deep Purple, but eh. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. There's some stuff of Deep Purple that I like. Oh, I love Hush. Hush is a great song. Yeah. So the album marks the return of Simon Gallup to the group. Uh, he, he performed and composed with Robert Smith and Lawrence Tolhurst on the Dark Trilogy, which was the album Seventeen Seconds, Faith, and Pornography. Pornography is the album that everybody denotes as the big goth cure album. That and they did another sort of gothy album after this period that we're talking about called Disintegration, which was huge. Disintegration was on everybody's top 10 album list sure. all over the world. Sure. Disintegration um, was featured in uh, uh, Ant-Man. Yes. Yes. Uh, and when people think about the Cure, generally they're thinking about the Disintegration period. But this is a little before that. Uh, they decided they wanted to do pop songs. Because they'd done that dark trilogy, it's like, hey, let's do something else. Let's do some poppy music. Um, uh, guitarist Paul Thompson, who had played guitar during the very early days of the band, uh, he also played keyboard and saxophone during the band, the album The Top, uh, its tour, and he became an official member. Um, and then drummer Boris Wilson, who had previously worked with the Thompson Twins, which, if you listen to Head on the Door, the drum sound sounds a little like the Thompson Twins. You get that. Um, he joined the ensemble after playing uh, with the band for the U.S. leg of the 1984 of the Top Tour. 
Now, during promotion for the uh, recording, uh, Smith stated that the head on the door was inspired by the album Kaleidoscope by Susie and the Banshees and Dare by the Human League. Um, he wanted the album to be eclectic with different styles of moods. It reminds me of the Kaleidoscope album. Uh, he said, uh, the idea of having lots of different sounding things, different colors. Kyoto song contains uh, an Asian hook because they actually do use a Kyoto. And the blood is played in a flamenco style. Now, the blood is one of my favorite songs of all time. You think, okay, I'm paralyzed by the blood of Christ. Is he talking about religion? No. The blood of Christ was a cheap Spanish wine. Huh? He's talking about the hangover he had <clears throat> after drinking it all night. <laughs> And if you listen to the song, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It crowds my eyes. I'll never do it. Never do it again. <laughs> the piano tune in six different ways was previously used by Smith during his tenure with Susie and the Banshees for the single Swimming Horses. And the last song of the album, Sinking, was reminiscent of the band's faith era. While Close to Me, uh, released as the album's second and final single, was described as kind of a kind of an upbeat kind of disco-y song. Uh, the opening track, the first single, In Between Days, is compared to New Orleans material. And A Night Like This contains a saxophone solo by Ron Howe from Fool's Dance. The title of the album comes from a line in a chorus of Close to Me. Now, Robert Smith always claims that he used to have a recurring nightmare as a child. He would he would wake up and look at his the door of his room, and there was a a, a, a ghostly head that was just staring at him. Wow. Yeah, so it's head on the door. That's why it's called that. Um, and it freaked him out as a little kid. Um, and after a while, he quit having it. But yeah, it, it stuck with him. So he named an album. He named the poppiest album he ever made after a, a nightmare he had as a child. So just <clears throat> just curious, because I didn't look at that. Does the album cover depict a head on a door? Nope. Huh. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of their faces. So in the uh, in between days video. Uh, they're running around a studio playing music uh, that's shot in black light, and they've all got like uh, uh, highlighters on their face, so they they glow different different colors. It's from that. Okay. So it's basically someone's face and a bunch of hands with black light glow on them. Um. Now, when Smith was interviewed, he said that at the time he was making Head in the Door, his five favorite albums were Mirror Moves by the Psychedelic Furs, and you can kind of hear that. This Year's Model by Elvis Costello, Low by David Bowie, Kaleidoscope by Susie and the Banshees, and Radis Nor Norvicus by the Stranglers. Uh, I don't know, I'm not familiar with that Stranglers album. Uh now, the track listing, In Between Days, Kyoto Song, The Blood, Six Different Ways, Push, The Baby Screams, Close to Me, A Night Like This, Screw, and Sinking. There are only 10 songs on this album, but I mean, it's it's like it's like they took all of their previous catalog and opened it up and went, okay, we'll take one from this, and we'll take one from this, and we'll take one from this. It's just all over the place, but it it works. For this album. It's a short album. And I mean, yeah, you're it's only 10 about, songs. You're talking about five A side, five B side. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Quick little, a quick little album. Um, especially compared to the next one, which if depending on how you got that, if you got it on cassette, it had everything on it. Hmm. Standing on a beach has everything on it. That's the, I'm sorry. That's the next one we're going to talk about, but I mean, we're still on head on the door. Sorry. Circling back as we do. Um, a night like this is probably my favorite cure song. It is, it is a quintessential Cure love song. And I want to say 
I hear echoes of a night like this on Disintegration, on Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, on the one they did in 2000 called Blood Flowers. Every time he writes a love song, I always hearken it back to a night like this because I think it's the best love song that dude ever wrote. And and that's saying something because he also wrote Love Song, um, especially with the saxophone solo. Um of course, we talked about the blood, the blood of Christ, about, you know, don't drink. If you're ever in Spain, folks, don't drink a wine called the blood of Christ because it will mess you up. But yeah, so they and then they toured Europe and here and England. I think they toured a little bit of Asia, too, on this album. And it was huge. Um, and they all wore suits uh, like unit suits. It was they were really big in the 80s. But I mean, they all had like a, a look. Um, basically Robert Smith said it was because he wanted to be able to recognize the band in a crowd. <laughs> Cause you know, when you go to their concerts, everybody has that haircut. The next album on the list is standing on a beach. This is not a studio album. This is a compilation album. Normally I wouldn't include in a compilation album, but this is how I heard them. So I'd had those four songs from head on the door. I hadn't bought the album yet. Um, and then everybody's like, oh, you, you, that's not the one you want to hear. You want to hear Standing on a Beach. I'm like, well, what is Standing on a Beach? It's, well, when was it released? And they're like, oh, well, it's a compilation album. And I'm thinking, what, what are they going to break up? Usually people don't do compilation albums until their career is over. No, this is smack dab in the middle of it. Um, Standing on a Beach, and it was titled Staring at the Sea, if you had it on CD in the United States. Uh, it's a single compilation album released by the... English rock band The Cure in May of 1986, uh, marking a decade since the band's founding in 1976. The album's titles are both taken from the opening lyrics of The Cure's debut single, Killing an Arab. Now, a lot of people think that Killing an Arab is uh, anti-Middle Eastern. It's not. It's from a it's from a Camus novel. Um, it's it, or not a novel, a poem. I'm sorry. Um, the album was released in six formats. You see, so you had the vinyl record, the compact disc, and the audio cassette. There was a laser disc with the videos in U.S. and Japan, CD video in China, and uh, VHD video um, in Japan only. Now, the laser disc also had a. It was also a, a, a VHS tape too, as well. You could also you could get that laser disc as a VHS tape called Staring at the Sea. And it was basically the videos of all the singles. Now, I would recommend anybody going out to get this to get the cassette track listing because you get more music on it. Because it was two cassettes. The vinyl edition is a collection of all of the 13 Cure's commercially released singles up to that point uh, in chronological order. 1015 Saturday night was dropped though, possibly because it was only released in France. Uh, the CD edition features the same tracks as the vinyl edition, but also includes an extra track from four of the, uh, four of the band's albums. The four songs, although not released as singles, all had music videos made for them, which is what the Laserdisc and the VHS had. Uh, the cassette edition features the same tracks as the vinyl edition, but also contains all of the band's B-sides that had not to that point received a long play release, uh, excluding 1015 on Saturday night from the Killing an Arab single, which was released on the Three Imaginary Boys album. Plastic Passion from the Boys Don't Cry single 
which was released on the Boys Don't Cry album, and five B-sides from Let's Go to Bed, The Walk, and Love Cat. Singles were released on the Japan Japanese Whispers compilation album, however. The B-side, Mr. Pink Eye, from the 12-inch version of the Love Cats, was omitted from the Japanese Whispers and was re- included on this release. Um, these releases were accompanied by the VHS and Laserdisc release with all the music videos. Um, I had a copy of the VHS one. Uh, I could probably get the laser disc now because I have a laser disc player now. I, I probably ought to get it just so I can watch them again. Um, now they did. I want to say that they shot a video for Boys Don't Cry because they didn't do one before because it was released in 1979. Not everybody was doing videos back then. Um, no, but videos came about in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So he released or they released a video for Boys Don't Cry, which is the video everybody sees about them where they're basically it's a bunch of it's three kids playing music and behind them are the shadows of the actual cure playing it's really cool um very 1980s but it's it, it it's pretty awesome it, it, plus the recording of boys don't cry was they cleaned it up i don't think they didn't re-record it they just took the old recording and you know put it on better tape or something um the album was certified two times platinum in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. It sold a bunch. This was the big one for them. Yeah. Like, Head on the Door was kind of big, but it's still kind of indie. But this one was huge. This is the one that everybody bought. Um, missing in the special uh, Lament Flexi Pop single from 1982. Uh, this was not a proper single. Uh, it was I Am a Cult Hero from 1975. Or 1979, probably because it was released under a different band name called Cult Hero. And it was it was a song about Simon Gallup because everybody thought he was a cult hero. Um, now, the track listing, um, and this is for the cassette edition, was Killing an Arab, 1015 Saturday Night, Boys Don't Cry, Jumping Someone Else's Train, A Forest, which is what a lot of people say is the most quintessential Cure song there is, A Forest. Um, play for Today, Primary, other Voices, Charlotte Sometimes, The Hanging Garden, Let's Go to Bed, The Walk, The Love Cats, The Caterpillar, In Between Days, Close to Me, and A Night Like This. So out of that, just by title alone, I know three of the songs. Killing an Arab, Boys no, Don't Cry. No, Boys Don't Cry, um, Loves... Lo- the Love Cats? The Love Cats. And one after that. The Caterpillar? No. Uh, close to Me? Close to Me. Yeah. Close In Between me. Days? Those, those are the three I know yeah. off that album. And, and A Night Like This is that love song that I And I might about. know others of them, yeah. too. I just, by, by title alone, those are the three I know. Um, You might know Killing an Arab, just because I, I played it all the time in my car back mm-hmm. in the day. <laughs> um. Now, the cassette edition had a bunch of uh, singles, or a bunch of B-sides. And again, we'll explain what a B-side is. So you got a single. On side one is the single. On the on side two, the B-side, they had to put something on there so they would put extra songs. Right. Well, I mean, you're talking about vinyl at that yeah. point. When you, when you had a single vinyl record, and your A-side was generally the one that was out on the radio, the one that people knew, whereas the B-side generally was not. No. No, you could either put an album track on there, but what a lot of these guys did would do a different song. It's like, oh, hey, we did put this on the album, but if you buy the single, you can get this song. So it encouraged people to buy the single 
and the album. Right. Um, then the B-sides were I'm Cold, uh, Another Journey by Train, Descent, Splinter in Her Head, Mr. Pink, yeah, Mr. Pink Eyes, Happy the Man, Throw Your Foot, The Exploding Boy, A Few Hours After This, A Man Inside My Mouth, Stop Dead, and New Day. All of these things were... I always thought of them as being, you know, quintessentially the cure, but not a lot of people knew. Like, I know Descent. Yeah. So this was the one that kind of blew up in the indie scene. Um, and I want to say some of the mainstream kids got, well, I mean, it went two times platinum. So some of the, a lot of the mainstream kids got their hands on this, at least later on. I think it took a while to get there, though. Because I want to say I didn't buy it until 87. Because, you know, I had the four songs from Head on the Door. And to me, that was the cure. And this thing had all four of those songs on it. So why did I need to get this? But, you know, then you hear Boys Don't Cry. It's like, oh, that's a great song. And I think maybe that's why they released this. Because it's like, okay, yes, the people in England know this song. But the people in America really didn't pick this up. And Boys Don't Cry is a that's a great song. Yeah, it's a it's a very good song. Um, <clears throat> and so yeah, the, this album helped bring the Cure to the American mainstream, becoming the band's first album to reach the top forty. Um, it was also a great international success, as was Head on the Door, uh, reaching top ten in numerous countries. Now, on their next album, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, um, was released on the 25th of May, 1987. But you see, they released them in the summer of 85, 86, and 87. They keep doing this. Like in 88, I want to say they released uh, another compilation album. And in 89, they released Disintegration. And in 1990, they released... um, No, in 88, they released a bunch of live albums. And in 1990, they released um, Mixed Up. Uh, But yeah, in 87, they released Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. It was released on the fiction label in UK and by Electra in US and Canada. That was who their partner was. Uh, it was a double album. It was released as a single CD and a single cassette. Uh, one track, Hey You, was omitted from the original CD release because of, at the time, uh, 74 minutes and 33 second uh, Red Book CD time restriction. You couldn't have a CD that went longer than 74 minutes and 33 seconds. But it was included on all the cassette releases. A limited uh, vinyl edition came out with an extra six tracks. Twelve orange vinyl featuring the song Sugar Girl, Snow and Summer, Icing Sugar, A Japanese Dream, Breathe, and A Chain of Flowers. Now, Breathe and A Chain of Flowers were on the single for uh, uh, Just Like Heaven. If you bought the maxi cassette single for Just Like Heaven, you got those two songs as well. And I had it. And Just Like Heaven was really their big mainstream Oh, my song. God, yeah. So Boys Don't That's Cry the, was big, but Just Like Heaven. I had never heard Boys Don't Cry until I started listening to First Wave. Just Like Heaven is the one that was on all the pop stations. I knew that song. Just Like Heaven was the song that got Gary on the football team to listen to The Cure. That's the joke. And I didn't like it back then. Really? No, I didn't. I, I don't know why, but it's just... It just wasn't me back then. Really? I mean, especially with that, the the rhythm guitar on mm-hmm. that is amazing. No, I agree. I agree now. So some of the track listings, uh, The Kiss, Catch, and 
Torture, and If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. That was side A of the first album. Now, Catch, Catch, I think, may be the best song on this album. It may not necessarily be my favorite song on this album. I used to sometimes try to catch a... It's just really, really smooth and kind of cool. Uh, it's a good background song. It's a good smushing song. Huh. Uh, oh, and side B was... Uh, why can't I be you? Which was a big hit. It was the it was a single before, um, just like heaven. Um, How beautiful you are, the snake pit, and hey you. And on side C or the second album, first side was just like heaven. All I want, hot hot hot, which also has a great horn part in it. One more time and like cockatoos. Uh, side D, you had Icing Sugar, The Perfect Girl, A Thousand Hours, Shiver and Shake, and Fight. Now, I want to say, I can remember, I can remember buying this record, going to, I picked it up around Christmas time, because I got some Christmas money, I was like, hey, I want to go pick up a couple of cassettes, so I went up to the Sound Warehouse, and I picked up, uh, this cassette, and I went with somebody else, and they picked up. I can't remember what it was they picked up, but for Christmas I had also gotten uh, Def Leppard's uh, Hysteria. This would have been the same time, right? Yeah. When I listened to it, that was my wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. So I listened to all of Hysteria, and I ended up trading that cassette to my friend who got something else, which I liked more uh, more immensely. And it's funny because there's a lot of people on that that think that Hysteria is their greatest album. Uh-huh. There's some people that think it's their worst album. I mean, you you don't have a middle ground with Hysteria. That's right. You either love Hysteria or you yes. don't. And, and I, I wouldn't say I hated Hysteria, but after I listened to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, I realized I don't really like this other stuff. It's just not what I like. Oh, it's not God. bad. It's okay. Hairbands and me, that yeah, that was I, my thing. I, I, you know, it was it was because of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, where I realized because I was just listening to everything mm-hmm. that it was like I really don't like hair music. It's okay, but honestly, I would rather listen to this. So I ended up trading that uh, Hysteria cassette with God. I wish I could remember what I traded it for, but it was something I had for years and years and years. I want to say it was probably Depeche Mode's music for the masses. That sounds about right, but I could be wrong. Music for the masses? Mm-hmm. I think so. But yeah, so this was a double album, and it was huge. And yeah, this thing went off like a rocket. And it was due to that one song, Just Like Heaven. Everybody liked it. Everybody watched the video. Everybody liked the song. You know, it brought The Cure fully to the forefront. And I think that was good because I think they they should have been sure it brought them mainstream. It's yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and it you know and they were st- and it, they didn't sell out to do it. That's still their song, you know. That's their work. So yeah, that's about it for those three albums of the Cure. But oh, cool. If you're listening, get out there and check them out. It, go to the website. The links are there to all three of these albums. I get YouTube playlist. You may have to listen to commercials. I don't know how your YouTube set up, but go and listen to them. Um, if for nothing else. If you don't listen to a single song out there, listen to A Night Like This. Because if you you want to hear Robert Smith do a love song, that's where he does it best. Well, and I pulled up all three albums and I listened to them cover to cover. Uh-huh. On, on a, you know, because, and it was funny as I listened, I'm like, oh yeah, I do know this song. I know that oh, song. Oh yeah, yeah, I do know, I know this, this song. song. 
again, it's first wave. That's yeah. why I know this because none of it, just like heaven is the only one that came from childhood, from yeah. teenage years. That's the only one I knew. Everything else has come in my adult life. Well, and what did you th- what did you think when you listened to the whole album? What did you think oh, about? I think Head they're of the great. Door? I, yeah. I t- now I, I have a great appreciation for the Cure. I think their music is very good. I I love I really love everything about them. And listening to the albums uh, in their entirety entirety, um, I appreciated them. I yeah. appreciate them quite a bit. You know, this was that's this, this was a good one to cover because I like their music. You like all of it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah even some of the more weirder stuff. It's it's still musically. It's still musically good, you know. Even if it's not your favorite, that was well crafted, you yeah. know, and you could recognize that. Yeah, I think everybody should go out and give the cure a cure a swing. So yeah, oh, definitely. So. Awesome. Then with that, we'll step over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. For my story today, I got my information off all that's interesting: the New York Post, Fox News, A uh, and E True Crime Blog. The Big Book of Serial Killers. Thanks, Mom, for that for Christmas. Yay! Uh, Wikipedia. And again, I would like to thank give thanks out to Deb for providing the fun trivia facts at the end of my stories as I try to try to end with some interesting or positive versus the dark that I get to dive into. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about Robert Hansen, or as he was to be called later, the Butcher Baker Killer of Alaska. The Butcher Baker Killer of Alaska? Sir. Okay. So, you know, Anchorage, Alaska was a last frontier town, or a frontier town in the last frontier state, and it was being settled in the mid-1970s by people who'd left it all behind. They they didn't have roots, they didn't have community ties, and it was people that were starting fresh. Those whom, if they disappeared from their new Alaska home, would hardly be missed. So when Anchorage's, Anchorage's sex workers began disappearing in the late 1970s, it went mostly unnoticed. The first body uh, found was that of an unidentified woman, later named Ekluna Annie, because of the location of her shallow grave. She had been buried on Ekluna Lake Road, and her body was discovered by construction workers on July 21, 1980. Uh, decomposition and animal damage was so severe that identification proved impossible. They did do a facial reconstruction, though, um, and publicized it widely, but nothing. They could, they got nothing from this. Also in July of 1980, the body of a topless dancer, Joanne, uh, Joanne Messina, was found in a gravel pit. She was also badly decomposed, so there was very little evidence that could be found or useful. But on September 1983, state troopers were put on alert because that's when the body of 17-year-old exotic dancer Paula Golding was found on the banks of the Nick River by a road construction crew. She'd been missing for about five months, and her remains were found uh, near those of the 23-year-old dancer Sherry Morrow. There were two twenty-three shell casings near the body of both women. Ballistic reports showed they'd been fired from the same high-powered uh, hunting rifle. So again, this is the terrifying story of Robert Hansen, Hansen the Butcher Baker serial killer. Mm. In the 1970s, Robert Hansen, who was known as the Butcher Baker, he'd turned this premise into uh, a horrifying decade-long reality. Uh, though Hansen maintained a wholesome reputation in town, he let his hidden dark side run wild in the woods of Alaska. There was nothing on the surface that were raising red flags about Robert Hansen. He was a successful small business owner, having opened a bakery in the city's downtown, and the police even went there for coffee and donuts all the time. Oh, 
Throughout the 70s and 80s, Hanson targeted sex workers and exotic dancers, uh, abducting these women to turn them loose in the woods so he could hunt them like animals. Wow. Oh, he was a baker. That's why they call him the butcher mm-hmm. baker. Okay. I'm with you now. Uh, born Robert Christian Hansen on February 15, 1939 in Esterville, Iowa. His father was a Danish immigrant who owned a bakery. His father was also a strict disciplinarian and very domineering. <sighs> Again, yeah. you know, they said his childhood was not an easy one. He lurked, worked long hours in the family bakery from, early, from a young age. And though he was naturally left-handed, he was forced to use his right hand instead, which was a switch that resulted in a lifelong stutter, humiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a teenager, he was painfully shy, thin, and had bad acne that left him permanently scarred, and he was mocked for his stutter. The boys at school often made fun of him, bullied him, and the girls he liked all rejected him. He was often described as a loner. So, as a social outcast, he took refuge in the time he spent alone, and over time, he became an avid game hunter, channeling his rage and fantasies into vengeance into the sport of stalking animals. Here we go. Mm-hmm. In 1957, when he was 18 years old, uh, he joined the United States Army Reserve, hoping to leave his troubled youth behind and try to make something of himself. After year after serving a year in the reserves, he became an assistant assistant drill instructor at a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa, and he even married a young woman he met there. But Robert still felt mistreated by the community and sought retaliation. In 1960, at age 21, he convinced a young bakery employee to help him burn down a school bus garage as a revenge for his unpopularity in school. Now we've got setting fires. Wow, setting fires, cruelty to animals. <sighs> Well, okay, let's put a fine point on it. Not necessarily cruelty to animals. No. He was hunting. He was hunting animals, yes. And people aren't going to necessarily consider that cruel, no. but it is animal killing yeah. where he can domineer over them. So, you know. Um, the boy he convinced later confessed, and, and Hansen was arrested. And later, a psychologist noted that Hansen had an infantile personality and was obsessed with getting back at the people he felt wronged him. His wife soon divorced him, which left him alone and incarcerated. Uh, he was released just 20 months into his three-year sentence for arson. And he was jailed a few more times after that for petty theft. Still, he managed to remarry another local woman with which he would have two children with. Finally, he decided he had enough of the contiguous United States. And so in 1967, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska, which is about as far from life in Iowa as you can get. He moved into a small community. Uh, he had two children with his wife, and they settled into a very quiet routine. He was very well-liked, and he opened up a small bakery. He was a small man, and he came across as a very mild-mannered man. His wife, Darla Hansen, uh, who was a devout Christian, had no idea of the other life Robert would lead. Um, he also competed in local hunting contests, uh, setting several hunting records. Oh, well. Wow. But while the townspeople mostly bought into the facade of the happy baker with a family and a knack for hunting, some cracks started to show through his squeaky clean exterior. In 1972, he was arrested twice, once for the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife and again for raping a prostitute. He pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the offense against the housewife, but the rape charge involving the sex worker was dropped as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years in prison, but he was released to a halfway house on a work release program after serving just six months. And unknown to authorities, his killing spree began in 1973, likely emboldened by his ability to walk free after his early crimes. 
1976, uh, Hansen would be arrested again and was sentenced to five years for shoplifting a chainsaw. However, he appealed that sentence and was released while he continued to prey on strippers and sex workers who he forced to act out uh, his twisted fantasies. Anchorage at the time was perfect for someone like, like Robert Hansen. Uh, at the time, the construction of the 800-mile Trans-Alaska oil pipeline in the 70s brought sex workers, pimps, con artists, and drug dealers, all looking for quick, quick riches during the uh, construction boom, and sudden disappearances among them were very commonplace. Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, they, they, they came up here. Oh, they're gone already. Right. Yeah, they, they showed up, make some money, and then left. And then left. That's exactly what people what people thought. But this was a place where someone like Hansen could easily lure women into his grasp. His victims were all young women, mostly runaways, who really had no family support or out there in the world on their own. Most of them didn't even make it through high school. For many, this was a place for them to make money and survive. And initially, Hansen's victims included any woman who caught his eye. However, he quickly learned that strippers and prostitutes were not only uh, harder to track, but were also easily less missed. So Hansen learned that he needed to take women who weren't easily believed or cared about by the community or the police in the same way. He thought like a hunter. Mm -hmm. While his wife and children were out of town, he would bring home jewelry owned by the women as mementos and hide them out of sight. And since Hansen was an avid hunter who also worked odd hours, his wife never suspected he had a double life. No, no. Well, he likes to go off and hunt. It's Alaska. You can hunt all the time. Sure. You know. Well, he would get in his car and drive around downtown Anchorage looking at all these young women walking up the street, and he would get aroused and excited about getting back into the game. His game. Yeah. In 1983, more than a decade after Hansen moved to Anchorage, a 17-year-old girl named Cindy Paulson was found, found frantically running down 6th Avenue barefoot and handcuffed. After being picked up by a driver and returned to safety, Paulson, who was a prostitute, told her story to police. She described being held hostage by a man who handcuffed her to her car, held her at gunpoint, and took her to his house where he chained her to a post by the neck. The man raped and tortured her repeatedly before attempting to load her onto a plane and take her to her, his, his cabin in the Matanuska Susitna Valley, about 35, north, 35 miles north of Anchorage. Nice! <laughs> I knew I was going to trip over that one. Uh, as the man prepared the plane for takeoff, Paulson managed to escape, leaving her shoes behind as evidence. She ran to 6th Avenue with Hanson in hot pursuit. She flagged down a truck driver named Robert Yount, who was shocked by her appearance, but let her in the truck. Tried to take her to police, but she insisted she needed to go to the Mush Inn, which was a local hotel where her boyfriend was. He did drop her off as requested, but then he immediately went to call the police himself. Smart man. Yes, thank you. Uh, officers arrived at the hotel, but discovered she had taken a taxi to the Big Timber Hotel, where she was found still wearing the handcuffs. Police then took Paulson to the airport, and she identified Hanson's plane. A security guard there corroborated her story and said he'd taken down the license plate of the perpetrator. That vehicle belonged to Robert Hanson. And when the police went to the address listed on the vehicle registration, the interior of his home matched the description Paulson had given. Hansen fit the description of the kidnapper perfectly. Paulson even described his stutter and identified his plane, but police were still reluctant to bring him in. After all, he was no stranger to trouble with the law, mm -hmm. but he was the local baker and he was well-liked in the community. He was a fine, upstanding citizen. Fine, upstanding citizen. Who'd uh, already gone down for assault and rape. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did admit he had met the girl, but claimed she was setting him up because he refused to pay her extortion demands. When he told police about his strong alibi, which was provided by his friend John Henning, he was released. So he had an alibi that he was with somebody. Somebody helping him out? Okay. All right, I'm with you. Meanwhile, Alaska state troopers were convinced that there was a serial killer on the loose. Several sex workers and dancers... He's not on the loose! He's right there! (laughs) Sorry. He had an alibi. His friend said he was with me the whole time. Oh, yeah. Three people placed him there. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. No, I'm with you. Okay. Please continue. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on this. I, I mean, you know, when when I first heard this story, too, I was like, wait a minute. He had an alibi? Everything points to him. I, I just, wow. Um, Witnesses. Co- <laughs> I know. Several sex workers and dancers had gone missing, and troopers were beginning to find bodies. When two bodies were discovered, this was Paula Golding and Sherry Morrow, I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, with the 223 shell casings nearby, Hansen was a prime suspect, but police didn't have proof. They had no – everything was circumstantial. Okay. Everything. They've got no, no proof. This did lead to the involvement of the FBI, including now-retired FBI agent John Douglas, who helped pioneer uh, the field of criminal profiling. This is the guy that they they depicted in Mindhunter, Mindhunter the series yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, I love those Mindhunter. John guys. Douglas's name pops up time and time yeah. again. And I think the other one was Rustler. Was that right? Rustler. 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 Yep. Rustler. Yeah. Talked about him in another, in another yeah. episode. Yeah, those yep. guys are great. If you guys haven't sat down and watched Mindhunter on on Netflix, you need to watch it. Right. It is so good. Well, Douglas put together a psychological profile of the killer based on details of the case and the injuries inflicted on the recovered bodies. Check this out. This was his profile. He theorized theorized that the killer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and a history of being rejected by women, and that he likely had a stutter. How did he get that? Because he's a super genius. I I know. I, I, I I can understand everything up to the stutter point, and I'm just thinking to myself, my God, how did he get that? Well, okay, so a stutter is not a stutter is not physical; it's psychological. And he probably surmised that if 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 it's this person, it's this person. If this happened to them, then more than likely, then this happened to them. And if they're doing this, that means this happened to them. You know what? This person probably also has a stutter. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I know. He's a genius. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So, though he had been cleared several times before, there was no doubt about it. Robert Hansen fit the profile almost exactly. What's more, he owned a bush plane and a cabin in the Matansuka Susitana Valley. Nice. God, did I do it again? I thought it sounded right to me. So, police had enough. At this point, they did, a, they, got, they did get a warrant to search Robert Hansen's plane, car, and his homes. What they found shocked him. The horror that Robert Hansen's victim had endured was almost too macabre to even believe. In Anchorage, Hansen was a respected business owner, known for his skills as a bow hunter. The den of his home was decorated with hunting trophies and animals mounted on the walls and even a few bow hunting records. What no one knew was for more than a decade, he had also been collecting trophies from another kind of kill. He was targeting mainly sex workers and exotic dancers from around Anchorage. He would kidnap the women and either drive or fly them in his private bush plane out to his cabin in the remote Alaskan bush. If the women didn't put up a fight, he would rape them and then bring them back to town, threatening them in secrecy. 
the ones who didn't cooperate suffered a truly nightmarish fate. Okay, so there are more women out there who can who can finger this dude. Mm, no, kind of. Well, maybe. Okay, <laughs> maybe some some that. Yeah, some that if they if they're willing to come forward, but some yeah. may have been too scared, and they may be gone by now. Yeah. So what he did out in the wilderness along his favorite location of the Nick River, Robert Hansen would set the women free naked. For a moment, they'd hoped that there was a chance for escape. Then as they ran for their lives, he would track them down, taking his time, hunting them down like wild animals. He was armed with a hunting knife, a .223 a caliber Ruger Mini-14 rifle. He'd torture the women with this chase for hours or sometimes days at a time until he located his prey and shot him like game. Mm. Uh, the story of Hansen's prolific 12-year skill- killing spree later became a subject of the 2013 movie Frozen Ground, starring John Cusack as Robert Hansen and Nick Cage as the Alaskan state trooper investigating the murders. I love it when Cusack plays a bad guy. Yeah. Oh, I do too. So they got to searching uh, uh, his home, and the police found an aviation map of the area hidden in the headbo- headboard of his bed. It was marked with tiny X's denoting the kill and burial site of his victims. Some of the uh, X's matched up with where police had found bodies, and overall there were 24 X's on the map. Wow. What's more, in his psychological profile of killer, John Douglas had predicted that the murderer would keep souvenirs from his prey. And sure enough, in the basement of Hanson's home, they found a stash of jewelry. In the stash was a necklace that belonged to one of the crime victims, so the police finally had their man. Initially, Hanson tried to deny responsibility for the murders, uh, but eventually he caved and said that it was the fault of the women he was justified in killing them. (laughs) Police began... (laughs) Yeah, I know. Police began to present each piece of evidence against Hanson. Finally, he admitted he'd been killing women since 1971. Ballistics then matched bullets found at the crime scene to Hanson's rifle, and he agreed to a plea bargain. As part of a plea bargain, the butcher baker was only ever charged with four of the 17 murders he confessed to, and some believe he actually killed more than 20 women. He was convicted in 1984 after confessing to killing killing mostly dancers and prostitutes during a 12-year span, and he was convicted of just four of the murders in the deal that spared him having to go to trial 17 times. He was formally charged with the murders of Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, Ekluna Annie, and Paula Golding. Uh, Ekluna Annie, Annie did eventually uh, was found again, as we talked about earlier, on July 21st, 1980. She'd been stabbed in the back. Uh, Joanna Messina uh, went missing on May uh, May nineteenth, nineteen ninety, and she was found in uh, excuse me in May nineteen eighty nine, and was found in late July. I've got this date wrong. May nineteenth, nineteen eighty, and was found in late July nineteen eighty. Wow, why could I not get through that date? Uh, Sherry Morrow went missing on November seventeenth, nineteen eighty one. She was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Nick River. She had been shot in the back, but there were no bullet holes in her clothing, suggesting she had been shot while nude and then redressed before being buried. Paul Golding went missing on April 25th, 1983, and was found on September 2nd, 1983. And she was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Nick River, just like Sherry Morrow, and had died in similar circumstances, having been shot in the back and no bullet holes in her clothing either. And he was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. Hansen also confessed at that time to raping another 30 women. 
and all told, Hansen murdered at least 17 women ranging from the age of 16 to 41. In exchange for the reduced conviction, Robert Hansen agreed to assist police in locating the remaining bodies plotted on his kill map. Hansen led police to 17 grave sites, 12 of which were, were unknown to investigators at the time. Uh, there remained marks on his map that he refused to give up, including three in Resurrection Bay near Seward. Authorities suspect two of these marks belong to the graves of Mary Thill and Megan Emmerich, uh, whom Hansen has denied killing. And the remains of 12 of probable 21 victims were exhumed by the police and returned to their families. One of the victims was not even identified until October 2021 when DNA technology was finally able to identify her. Robin Pelkey was a 19-year-old homeless teenager who lived in Anchorage and disappeared in 1984. She had been known for decades as Horseshoe Harriet and had a grave marker labeled Jane Doe number 3. Robert Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison, plus life in prison, without parole in 1984. Just in case life wasn't long enough. Here's right. an extra 461 <laughs> years. In case you're immortal. He was imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward, Alaska, where he died on August 21st, 2014, of natural causes from lingering health conditions. And unfortunately, five of the bodies have not been found to this day, and Hansen took the secrets of their locations to his grave. What about the map? They can't, they can't check things out on his because he had twenty four. They've checked, they've checked everything out that was on his map, but there's still, but they five apparently weren't on the map. weren't weren't on or were or weren't where the X's were. So he took those secrets to his grave, unfortunately. And that's my story for today. But I have trivia facts about Anchorage to try to end on a little bit lighter note. Hey, we've got a listener in Anchorage. So uh, Anchorage is the northernmost city in the U.S. Uh, they receive up to 20 hours of daylight a day in the summer months. Sunset around midnight. Dawn comes around 4 a.m. That's going to be weird. That? Yeah. In the middle of winter, however, you only see the sun for about five and a half hours a day from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Oh. Uh, Anchorage has no sales tax. Huh. I found that interesting. Uh, on a clear day, you can see mountain ranges, uh, six different mountain ranges from Anchorage. The Alaska Aleutian, uh, Kugak. Kenai, Talkana, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce any of these correct. Uh, Tordrillo uh, in English or Tordrillo in Spanish. On also on a clear day, you can see Mount Denali, which is 130 miles north of Anchorage, and with its 20,310 foot peak, it's the tallest mountain in North America, formerly known as Mount McKinley, but it has changed back to Mount uh, Denali in 1980. By area, Anchorage is one of the largest cities in the U.S., encompassing 1,706 square miles of land that's bigger in size than the entire state of Rhode Island. Anchorage's location on the globe puts it within 9.5 hours of flying time to almost 90% of the industrialized world. Oh, yeah, I guess it would. Yeah. The coldest temperature ever recorded was negative 38 degrees Fahrenheit in February 1947. Oh. Normal winter temperatures range from plus 5 to plus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. The hottest temperature ever recorded was 90 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer of 2019. Uh, normal summer daytime temperatures range from 55 to 78 degrees. I'd be cold all the time, even in the summertime. Uh, Anchorage a averages about 75.5 inches of snowfall every year. 75 inches? Yep, oh 75.5. 
During the winter of 2011-2012, Anchorage received, received a record of over 11 feet of snow for the season. Oh, my God. Anchorage is home to more than humans. Bears, moose, wolves, lynx, foxes, and other species of wildlife live within the urban areas of Anchorage. There are approximately 250 to 350 black bears and 55 to 65 grizzly bears that live within urban Anchorage and the surrounding areas. They have grizzly bears in the city. Uh It's estimated that around 1,500 moose live in the urban area of Anchorage. It is common for residents to be late to work because a moose is crossing the street holding up traffic. Yeah, you don't want to mess with a moose. They're They're huge. Uh, Anchorage, like all of Alaska, has no native snake population. The only snakes found in the wild are escaped pets. Huh. And they probably don't survive long. Oh, I don't think so. On March 27, 1964, the Good Friday uh, earthquake hit Anchorage. It lasted nearly five minutes and measured 9.2 on the Richter scale. It's the strongest earthquake ever recorded in North America and unfortunately killed 115 people. According to the America Waterworks Association, Anchorage is one of the cities in America with the best tasting drinking water. I bet it is. Yeah, coming right off those glaciers. Uh, Anchorage has more espresso stands per capita than anywhere else in the U.S. (laughs) Everybody's cold. They need something to warm them up. (laughs) There are approximately 100 languages spoken in the Anchorage School District, the primary one being English. Uh, Anchorage has over 130 miles of cross-country ski trails. I bet, they, uh, I bet they sell a lot of soup, too. And the first Saturday in March, the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race starts in downtown Anchorage. It ends in Nome, Alaska, which is 1,049 miles away from Anchorage. Wow. And that's my story for today. Well, thank you, sir. Glad we could have that for today. Glad to be back in studio. Yes. Again, so good to good to be seeing you, and I hope everybody enjoyed uh, enjoyed our show for today, getting to know some music and finding about the Butcher Baker of Alaska. Butcher Baker of Alaska. So that'll take us to the end of our recording week. And as a reminder, you can always find us on our website, Nerdery and Murdery. You can find our contact information there as well as our social media. Uh, you can also find the link to our merchandise. So if you wish to show off your Nerdery and Murdery fandom, you can definitely find it there. You can also find the link to our patrons. So if you wish to uh, uh, help donate to our show to help keep us going, you can find your link there. We do appreciate all of our patrons. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Uh, and just a little side note on that, we are releasing exclusive episodes to our patrons. So these are episodes that will not go live to the rest of the world, are, are exclusive to uh, anybody who is our patron, so they can get some extra episodes and just a little extra spiff for them. Thank you so much. So that's about it for us for this week. So with that, I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Cue the music.